All right, welcome back, my fellow Gen CEOs. We are on episode number 12. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Natasha Montgomery. How you doing today? Doing good. Happy to be home and home. That's good. That's good. So, um, we're just going to jump right into it uh, with you. How has uh, the last couple of months been going for you uh, with COVID? How has this time to be able to sit still for a while has been beneficial to you? Um, I have been able to focus more on the greedy wallet since I'm home more. My job, they brought us home and they don't plan on having us come back probably until next year. Mm -hmm. So that's been beneficial. The downside is um, my work from home days used to be like my Zen days, like Mm -hmm. to be here by myself, like zoned into whatever I'm doing. But now my kids are here all day, (laughs) every day. So I feel like I'm just extra exhausted by the time bedtime gets here. Yeah, I can only imagine people who have kids at this time. It's like, oh, my God, I'm about to go crazy. It's a lot. (laughs) Now, you mentioned the greedy wallet. And, and, you know, that's the main objective of why we're uh, having this discussion today. Um, So for the greedy wallet, can you further explain... Um, the greedy wallet and what it all it involves all right so it started out as um budget planning so I used to help some of my co-workers and some of my friends with writing a budget or um if they had questions about something anything to do with finances I was usually able to research it or just share some knowledge I already have so I started doing budgeting from that and but then as I help people with their budgets they come with more questions so it's like should I invest in stocks should I be putting in a 401k should I do more like how can I save for my kids and then the summaries I would write would end up being a budget plus additional information to guide them in whatever else they wanted to do or to give them resources to help them and then I was like Man, you know, it's it's some people that reach out to me. They reach out to me and they have questions or they want me to help them. But then with the budget, you need so much transparency and everybody doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. It, it's uncomfortable for them to have to give up all their information like right, that. Right. So I said, well, I, I want to find a way to share knowledge with people who don't feel comfortable giving me all their information Mm -hmm. so I started the page and I'm like okay and more um more and more people have started following me or like even some of my friends because I just converted my personal page to that I wasn't really posting that much personal stuff so but one girl I had posted like a um challenge saying you know for people who get their hair done religiously every two weeks once a month or whatever calculate that up and put the same amount into your savings so there's one is is somebody I know who I knew they got their hair done every two weeks and she inboxed me like a few months later and was like you posted this I took advantage of it for the last three months I didn't go to the hairdresser. I did my own hair and I put that money and I paid off a whole credit card. Wow. And I was like, wow. well, and she was one of the people who had 
initially she had reached out to me to do a budget, but then it, she just was like, I'm going to just see, you know, what I can figure out. And I, under, I understand that finances is it's just a touchy subject. So do you find that to be majority of the time it's people that you already know who just feel a little uncomfortable with sharing their finances versus someone who um, yeah know you it is it the yes yeah, the people I know that are a little and yeah I guess having to you know deal with me every day talk to me or just not knowing you really don't know what people say behind your back so it's like is she gonna tell you know what I'm saying our other friends like, what's going on with my stuff? I got $20,000 in credit card debt. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's why, I, you know, somebody else is like, you should be charging for this information. But I'm like, it's not, it's not information that's not accessible. It's just everybody has their own thing that they like to research. Mm-hmm. So while somebody else might, maybe their favorite thing, like, you know, maybe they make cakes, maybe they do hair, like, so they researching how to make different cakes or how to make a different color in hair while I want to research finances. It's just whatever your interest is. So I'm like, I don't want to charge people for information that's already available. I just want to share and make them aware. That's so dope. That's so dope. Can So can you speak on the importance of financial literacy when running a business and how it can negatively and positively affect you. Yeah. So um, first I want to say financial literacy is just understanding all aspects of money, you know, how how to earn it, how to manage it, how to plan with it, what not to do to lose it. So in running a business, it's just small things from, you know, setting the business up, maybe knowing all the fees that go into whatever kind of business you're trying to start. Mm-hmm. If it's some kind of additional tax based on you buying a property or based on what type of business you're going to start, if you need certifications, like the fact of those kind of just knowing to, to plan out and execute all your moves so that you financially you turn out okay. You're not just doing everything on a whim. So um it it was a it was it's a page that I follow and um I know we're gonna go over that later. So I name I name the pages later, but it's a page okay. that I follow and they brought up something interesting. Um but it was saying that if you're a business owner, you know you you bringing in a good amount of money, you should consider investing some of that into the stock market in addition to reinvesting it back into the business. So it's just, I, I thought that was, that's a great idea. I know large corporations do it and I know most people don't do that. They think, you know, you see these big companies and they just bringing in all this money and that's how they continue to grow. But a lot of large corporations invest in the stock market to offset losses, to bring in additional revenue, to to um, increase their value. So um, things like that, or like with um, rental properties, like um, I was talking to a friend because I actually want to get into rental properties. And I was saying, um, he's a realtor. And I was saying, well, you know, I understand that 
with the rental property, it's more of an investment because you really don't get a return for the first year or two. And he was like, most people don't pay attention to that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I calculated out. I only want to spend like 10,000, you know, because we close to Detroit. So that's perfectly achievable. But I'm like, you know, like 10,000 about a house, maybe 500 in taxes, a thousand for insurance, 2000 for repairs. So in that first year you spent like between 13 and 14,000. And then if you rent it for like 800 a month, it takes you a year and a half just to break even. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, once you break even, given you haven't had something catastrophic where you got to spend like 5,000 on repairs, then you can start from there, start saving that money and figure out what else you want to put it into. Do you want to get another rental property? Is this going to fund some kind of business venture with something else? So, yeah, financial literacy just helps you, helps your situation turn out better the more knowledge that you have. Understood, understood. And um, that's a good point and a great transition to the next question. Uh, One of the biggest misconceptions uh, of investing is people believe that you need a large sum of cash. Can you give a few examples of what you can do with, you know, $500 to $2,000? So, um, if you have, I would say if you're new at investing and you really don't know where to start, then you definitely want to follow people who have good information for you. So there are, um, there are a lot of pages on Instagram. They have the Wall Street Trapper, Earn Your Leisure, the Master Investor, Tide Capital, and the Millennials Next Door. So I follow I follow each one for different reasons. They each have um, different information. The Master Investor and the Wall Street Trapper. Um, they actually offer courses, so you can buy courses to learn options, to learn just how to get into the stock market safely to where it, if you have a loss, honestly, I think their programs start you out to where you get your gains pretty quick. But if you have a loss, it's not a permanent loss like it, it should be because usually most times when you if you buy into a long term stock, it doesn't always just jump right from when you buy into it. Like with the more short term trades, they're they're watching everything better and they can see like, you know, oh, it's gonna jump tomorrow or it had a big decrease today in the next couple of days it's gonna take a huge jump. But with the long term, you just kinda pick your price point and and buy in at that price point you hold for a long time. So you kinda go through ups and downs based on how it's moving but you can start with a small amount like honestly I've seen people start with a hundred dollars and they just look at some stocks that might be twenty dollars a share or like um like AT&T isn't that expensive I think it's less than fifty dollars a share Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of stocks there are penny stocks which um all the time can't be as um, safe and profitable as others. But I think the best thing for anybody to do is, even if they don't know what to buy, is to set up their account and set up an auto transfer. Okay. So 
they need to, this is why budgeting is important because they would need to know how much can I afford to put in every week or two weeks, you know, after I put a little bit into savings and pay all my bills. Okay. I could afford $25 a week. So I'm going to set up auto transfer for $25 a week while I think about if I want to invest. So say they, you know, go three or four months and then they're like, okay, I'm ready to jump in. Now they have like three or 400 sitting there. Right. Ready. And they could just start. They could just take, you know, whatever advice they're getting from whoever they're learning from instead of being like, man, you know, I'm ready to start. I don't have no money in there. I had to go through the setup. Oh, it take like two days for my money to transfer. Because I literally have people who reached out to me and they're like, you know, what what have you invested in? I'm thinking about buying this. And I look and I'm like, yeah, that looks like a good buy. Like you should, you know what I'm saying? somebody asked me about something specific and I wanted to say, I'm like, it just had a drop. Like, I I think it's about to come back up, but they hadn't even set up their account. So they couldn't trade for like two days and they missed out. Um, yeah. They uh, missed out. So that was, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it doesn't take that much. Then they had a fractional shares too, where you could buy through like um, cash app, um, Robin Hood, Stash, they all offer fractional shares. So like I invest through those with the larger companies that I don't want to have to put like half of my money to buy one share. So like Amazon, Shopify, Tesla, you know, I probably put a hundred dollars into each one on my stash. Mm, that's a great. So what what's the name of that uh app where uh, what's the name of the app where it rounds it rounds your your transactions oh. to the nearest dollar? Oh, I think um, Cash App is the one doing that where they put the change into the stock market for you. Let me see. Let me see. It's not. I know it's not Cash App. Not that one. Acorns. Oh, that's right. Why do I forget? I feel like people don't use them as much now with the um. <laughs> Since the stock market crash, <laughs> we've been going to um, Robinhood more, okay. buying up everything. Okay. But um, yeah, I don't have that much knowledge with Acorns. Gotcha. I do, I do have a cousin that signed up with it, and she had. She, I think she only made like uh, did a couple things, maybe like three or four years ago, and she just checked for the first time. And she had like ten dollars in there. <laughs> So I thought, and she she was like, I literally don't do anything with this. I can she was like, I feel like it was seventy five cents, and somehow it's just like multiplied into like ten dollars. And that's better than nothing. It is. It is <laughs> just from sitting there. But that that's how it works too. So imagine had it been, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand that she just forgot about, and then she went back to check. She would have been up. You know, had it been a thousand, she probably would have been up eleven hundred or something. Just so, so when reading the stock stock market, uh, where are where are a few a few different resources to learn how to read the stock market? Um. So that is more that is more short term, and I don't 
do that that often. Often there have been a few stocks that I managed to look up with that when I looked at the chart, I noticed that they kind of cycled between having maybe it was one stock. I think it was ACM Research. And at the time it would go, I noticed it would go down like $10 and it would jump up like $10. Mm-hmm. So I bought, I'm such a cautious investor. If I was riskier, I'd probably have a much bigger gains, but I'm okay with my small gains. But I bought, um, I think like 10 shares or so of it. And yeah, and in a couple of weeks it had jumped back up. I bought it when it went down that 10 and it jumped back up by 10. So I made like a hundred bucks and sold it. And then I did it again and then I got nervous. So I didn't buy back. <laughs> but um, some of them, you can literally look at the chart. Like you, you know, you look at it the last month, the last three months and you can catch a trend in the way it moves. Um, but there are people who, however they do it, they can um, analyze it and see that it's something's going up like the very next day or within a few hours. Um, And they have um, different types of programs that they've downloaded that help them read the charts. Mm -hmm. But um, the, I know the master investor is good at that entire capital. And then they also do like options trading where, you buy calls and puts to predict you're buying a contract to predict that the price will go up or a contract to predict that the price will go down. I don't do options trading yet either. I, my personal goal for this year is to do one options trade. So that'll, um, that's another thing too, with the investing to just set many steps. Like your first step might just be just to purchase, just to purchase one share of something. Mm-hmm. And then once you make that leap, it it gets easier and easier with time. The more you do it, you're less nervous. You're less afraid. You're more knowledgeable of what to do and what not to do. But just jumping into it is the initial start like that. Goes. Most people are nervous. Yeah. Cause they don't want to, because people, um, you know, even with those pages I follow, as soon as they give you the advice, they make sure to point out, you know what I'm saying? Talk to your financial advisor. Don't make any decisions you're not comfortable with. Like your your return is your responsibility because you can't come back and blame them. Like I lost $200. Like this is your fault. Because usually when people share advice with you, they're either telling you what they did and how it turned out mm-hmm. or what how they expect it to turn out but if you're not moving with them so these traders are great when they if you decide that they told oh they told me today that such and such is a great buy it's gonna shoot up this much and then I should sell it this but you wait two days to do it now you're not following that advice because they didn't base it on where it was at two days later right so it's just um I think, you know, just hearing people say, you know, speak to your financial advisor. I am not a, a professional. <laughs> your risk, you know, it's your responsibility. I think just that scares people. But really, it's just in case someone doesn't follow their advice to the T and they have a loss, that's just them protecting themselves. It's not them saying they don't know what they're doing. 
But any disclaimer makes people nervous. And then you constantly hear people saying, oh, the stock market is risky. Um, you, you could lose all your money. It's like gambling, but it's not gambling. It's, it's, it's so many different options. You have, you have stocks that are high risk and high return. But you know that when if especially if you have somebody working with you, you know, OK, ah, if if I'm not right, I could lose a lot with this one. But then you have other stocks, you know, like Apple, mm-hmm. Microsoft that just constantly move up. And even in my family, you know, I was trying to get I've been trying to get my mom and my grandma to invest little bits of money. And they like, ah, but. But can I lose all my money? And I'm like, oh, it's not like that though. I mean, you can, but you know, <laughs> fix where you where you probably not gonna lose any of your money. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> good. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's true. Like it, it is. Like it's a possibility, but you just have to be on it. You have to be smart about it. Yep. And then you know, even with like um, most people, don't if they don't invest at all they don't understand that some you know with the dividend stocks like so some of those move really slow or they kind of stay in the same area maybe going up and down a dollar a share um here and there but they if it pays dividends now you're fine you really don't especially now so I feel like any of the dividend stocks that dropped when the market crashed so now you're getting it at a super discount and over time it's going to slowly go back up to where it was. But in addition to waiting for it to slowly go up, you get a dividend every month or every quarter. So. Well, good. Cause I, I'm listen. I'm consuming this information as well. I'm going to go back and listen to this episode a few times just to take all of this in. Cause I know you dropping some gems right now. Um, yeah. But to that, um, this podcast is the target audience of this is, you know, inspiring entrepreneurs, right? A lot of a lot of them are selling products. So in the sense of selling products, um, can you speak on the importance of knowing, you know, competitor pricing? And can you touch on the importance of researching the market value for profit gain or loss in your business? Yep. So um as far as if somebody has like a t-shirt line or something, then they need to have some kind of estimate whether they're whether they have a friend that's in it and they can see, you know, how much how many t-shirts they got, what what type of print they got on the shirt, and how much did that cost? Did they have to buy the t-shirts themselves? Did whoever supply the t-shirts for them? Um, how much was shipping? And then in addition to that. They probably have like a website or something that they pay a monthly fee for. So just calculating um, all that into figuring how much it costs just to make the shirt mm-hmm. and to um, run the business. And then from there, when you come up with a, a cost for that, then you're like, OK, now how much do other people charge for the same shirt? Like mm-hmm. how much do other people charge in my area? If they search for my site, like what other kind of sites are going to come up in the search result? How much are they charging? If you're going to sell it on Amazon, you know, what other results are going to come up when they search for this shirt or when they click on your shirt? What are the recommendations? Like are those prices? So you just put all that together and you look at your market, too, because 
I was somebody um was trying to sell the um the t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Okay, I call them gas station t-shirts where it's just the square screen print like yeah. or something. Okay. So somebody somebody was trying to sell those and immediately I'm like, you know what I'm saying? Okay, these are not bad shirts, but you can't sell these shirts online for $15 through Facebook or Instagram because you you're selling to you selling to the people around you if you so I don't think they had a website or anything. So it's like you selling locally to people who, who stay here who follow you, probably your friends. I'm not gonna pay $15 for that shirt. I know I could go to the gas station and get it for five dollars. Right. Right. Like right. nobody that that so to me, that's where I'm not saying your shirt can't make it, but it's not gonna make it online with these other with these other shirts. You need to be outside selling those shirts. You mm-hmm. need to be at the park, yeah. right? Uh, on the corner somewhere at people's events so that you could sell it cheaper. Cause I'm pretty sure the price hike has to do with you either mailing it or delivering it. So yeah, with that, it's just understanding your product and how people are going to, to value it. Cause no matter, I mean, I know with some things people say, you know, sell it at what you want to sell it at and you, you can, if you're making a high quality product, if it's high quality, then yeah, you could sell it and eventually based off your confidence and how many people are wearing it, other people will pay that high price, but you can't make a, a low quality project product and sell it at a price of something else that looks more valuable or more up to date or because you're, because you're rushing to gain profit. Yeah, yeah, I do. I feel like it was just, you know what I'm saying? Everybody selling t-shirts. I'm going to hurry up and make this t-shirt because people buying t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's the same when we were having our previous discussion. We um, we talked about um, like restaurants and people who are selling plates and stuff like that too, where, you know, someone may be selling something and this plate is $22, but you know what comes in this plate is not worth $22 or not worth you know, $15 or whatever, but they're just, they're just picking a price point that isn't, you know, realistic to to, to their market or, you know, their competitors that surround them. And then even we talked about um, when you have, when you have a a business, when you're selling products um, where, which it's liquor or it's food or something like that, the measurements. um, So that can affect your profit loss at the same time too. So how are you measuring the amount of food or the amount of liquor that you're putting on each plate or in each cup that does not put you, you know, in a loss? Having to, having to track that. Yeah. That's a lot of reasons that some of the smaller local restaurants end up going out of business in a few years is from, not managing that properly, not considering, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, this is three pounds of, of beef. Okay. How many burgers can I yield from this? Oh, I can yield 15 burgers. How, so how many heads of lettuce do I need? How many tomatoes do I need for these 15 burgers? 
oh, okay, so this is costing me, you know, I need tomatoes cost a couple dollars, three pounds of beef costs like $10 or so, however many buns I need for this. And then you calculate it all up and it's like, okay, I yielded 15 burgers with these ingredients. My burgers need to cost at least this much for me to break even, but I don't want to break even how much, you know, how many people. And then it's like, if they, if they own a, a brick and mortar, like they're not just delivering, how many people do I have here to serve the burgers? How, you know, how long does it take to make them? It's just, whereas somebody is, might just be looking at it like, oh, okay, so-and-so next door, they send their burgers, but they sell their burgers for $10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but their burgers might be trash. You know what I'm saying? They might be thinner than yours. Yeah. They might not even put, they might not even put lettuce and tomato on their <laughs> burgers. They might just have cheese and some sauce. Like, so you got to take, you know, all of that into consideration or um, you could fail. Or, you know, like you said, like with my daughter, with her business, we sat there and we went through, you know, the the measurements, you know, it's like, okay, so every time somebody ordered this, I need a half ounce of this, a half a cup of this. Okay. This bottle is only going, you know, this big bottle of vodka and this big bottle of flavor is going to, you know, I could get, take 15, 20 orders with this. And then you work, you know, you work from there. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of people just need that simple breakdown sometimes because, you know, we have the mentality to start a business, but not really know the real um, ins and outs of it or what goes into a business, you know. And so that's why essentially it doesn't last um, that long because the financial part of it is really, really, really important. And um, when it comes to, um, people who feel like they're stuck, right? And they they want to start a business, but they feel like they want to knock down something else before they get to that part. And when I say knock down or have those hurdles, we talk about uh, the feeling of being stuck in debt, right? And they want to wait until they they invest or start, you know, a, a business venture. Um, so what are a few good tips um, to getting out of that debt, to you know, pay down credit card debt, to pay off personal loans, to pay off um, car loans and stuff like that. What are a good few ways um, to actually get that on track and get that down in a good amount of time? Honestly, um, so if you are in your early twenties, that's like the easiest time, right? And really, um, I think it all starts with not. Not wanting to stay home. I know everybody doesn't have the option, you know, to stay to stay home or to stay with an older relative. But if you have debt, that would be the first best option would be to stay at home, um, contribute, you know, whatever small amount of money you and your parents or aunt, grandparents, whoever can agree for you to um, contribute to the household. Mm-hmm. And then you use the rest of that money to hurry up and um pay your debt down, which is easy. I know a few people who stayed home after they finished college and they were able to pay off like 30, 40,000 in student loan debt. They didn't have to contribute any money to the household, but um, 
their parents were really involved with, you know what I'm saying, you're going to put this much of this check yeah. towards your student loan debt. Another option is um, having roommates. So as many roommates as you can have, especially like if, which is easier when you're not in a relationship. So if you're young and you're not in a, in a relationship and living with somebody, then you could have roommates and that just brings the cost of um, everything down. I paid off. Um, I had a significant amount of credit card debt coming out of college because my credit cards su- supported me whenever I couldn't afford to, to buy something or pay for something or books or whatever it was going right on the credit card. It didn't affect my credit because I paid my bills on time, but having a high level of debt was uncomfortable. But um, a few years after that, um, I had a roommate for about two or three years and I was able to pay a lot of that down because um, I want to say our first two bedroom apartment was like $800, maybe a little less. So I was paying like 400 in rent where as had I stayed in that same complex by myself, I would have had to pay six or seven hundred on my own. Then, you know, we split all the utilities. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a lot easier with having a roommate. And then um, another option is to have more than one stream of income, even if you're working two jobs. So like I have probably now around 22, somewhere between 22 and 25,000 still in student loan debt. Mm -hmm. And uh, before all this coronavirus stuff started, I was door dashing. So not, it wasn't a full-time thing and I don't do it now because I'm really uncomfortable with the whole Corona thing. But, um, Man, you just learn. I'm just thinking you learn so much when you are comfortable talking about finances. You learn so many strategies and different things from different people. But I had talked to one of the moms at the school who also had a really good job. And I'm like, you know, where are you going? And she's like, uh, you know, I'm about to go dash. And I'm like, yep. I'm like, both of y'all work. Like, are you something going on? And she's like, no. She was like, um, you know, it's just it's just really easy. She was like, for instance, you know, if I'm going to the run into the grocery store, I just hop on the app and take and accept the order that's on the way to the grocery store. Do that one order, make like ten bucks. When I leave the grocery store to go home, I accept the uh, order on the on the way going towards my house. Make another ten if it's she like. I went to the grocery store, I made twenty five dollars, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> wait, what? I'm like, you, I, I said, oh, so you could just. Accepting decline order, she was like, Yeah, you can't decline too many, but for the most part, yeah, you could accept it, you know, based on where you at. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that and I was making like a hundred a week just from doing like two dad, two or three dashes a day when I'm running around. And I put all of that into I, I set up my uh stash account for fractional shares mm-hmm. and I they give you a free um, checking account. So I had that money going into my stash account and then um, I would either invest it or I would pay down some of my student loan debt with it. So it was just for that. I just, I was just using it for those two things. Like I didn't spend any of it. 
I actually, even since I stopped dashing, I actually still have $60 sitting in that little checking account that I don't want to invest. I'm like, like I, I need to start doing the dashing again. But just little things to make extra money where you just put that money towards debt is like so helpful. You know, that's another, when you think of DoorDash and stuff like that, because I know I don't, when when people say, you know, bring in multiple streams of revenue, people don't really think like, oh, I can DoorDash or I can Uber, I can be this, and this can be another side hustle. So that's a great point that you brought up. I really love that idea. Now, when it comes to, you know, you you're so you're talking about paying that off and stuff like that. What are other good ways or tips or challenges that you have or that you may have known to be useful for saving money? Um, the Listen, auto transfer is your best friend with anything. With um, even just, I was so excited when I was finally, where I got to a point where I could set all my accounts up to auto payment. I know that sounds so dorky, but I was like, Oh my God, like I budgeted out everything. I'm, um, you know, I'm doing good with my money. I can put all my stuff on other payment. I don't have to log in and pay this stuff anymore. Right, right. So um, just um, setting up an auto transfer to your savings account, no matter how small it is, is helpful. Um, setting up the auto transfer to um, a stock brokerage account is also helpful. And, um, you can, you know, it's different ways to trick yourself into saving money, especially if you know you have, if you have, if you're in debt and you are spending on um, frivolous items that you really don't need, you should look at those things and c- kind of punish yourself for doing it. It's punishing yourself for doing it, but then rewarding your savings account or stock account because of that bad habit. So it's like, okay. Hang, I go to the club every Friday mm. and somehow I spend $25. Like maybe it's $10 to get in the door. You know, maybe you buy one drink or something. So we're just going to say $25. That's $100 a month. So it's like, okay, well, if I got to do this, then I at least need to be able to put $100 into some kind of account that's going to benefit me. Okay. I like that. I like that. So, so it's different so ways. I was going to say, so if like, for eating out, that that's that's one of my bad things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, because I cook a lot too, right? So eating out. So if I spend, let's say, thirty to fifty dollars a week on eating out, I need to match that same energy and put thirty to fifty dollars away. That's what you're saying. That's right. Yeah. And then it's either either you're gonna do it or because you can't do it, you might not go out to eat that day. So okay, so that if I can't do it, then that's the bigger problem right there. You need to sit down and stop eating. Because yeah. <laughs> that's the eye-opener. Some people are like, but I can't. Oh, but but you could if you, maybe if you only went out to eat every other week, mm-hmm. then you could put, spend, you know, one week you eat, the next week you put some money into the savings account. And um, I did want to point out too, um, investing in the stock market when you do it when you do it safely and you you know you're trying to get slow consistent gains it actually it pays a lot more than um, what a savings account would pay. Mm. So you may 
you make pennies having a savings account. I remember the first time I had like two or three thousand in one of my savings accounts. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to see, you know what I'm saying, what this little interest payment gonna look like at the end of the quarter or the month, however. Man, they gave me like seven cents. I was so <laughs> mad. I was so mad. Like it I, about I right. just add up. But so that's um you just not honestly your savings account should only have some money in there for emergency. So I have um we buy, we purchase our cars, we purchase used cars, we don't do car notes. With that, we always want to keep money in there for repairs. Mm-hmm. So probably maybe just a thousand for repairs and then another thousand for emergency. So my emergency account is just like two or three thousand dollars um sitting in there. And we're a two income household, so um, but then the rest of it which I just started this like a couple of years ago. Cause I was like, why, why do we have all this money sitting in the savings account? And they're not, they're not really paying us anything. We could put more of it into the stock market mm. and let it s- sit there. Even in, even the, you earn interest just from letting it sit in there as well. And it's slightly higher than a checking account. I mean, than, a, um, than the interest on the savings account. So even in just letting it sit there, you still earn it more than you would by having it sitting in savings. Now, the reason you can't put all of it into the stock market is because even if you're up and you sell, it takes a few days for the transactions to clear and take the money out. Okay. So if some, if you know, if you have an emergency and you need to pull that money quick, you're not going to be able to pull it that same day. It's going to take you have the small portion in the, the yeah. as well. Got it. Good point. So while breaking down investing, um, what is a solid what is a solid uh, percentage of your income that is safe to invest while you're um, to see a good enough profit in stock market? Um, so there is no um, set percentage. It really is just what you can afford. And even if you feel like you can't afford anything, you could start with five dollars. Like even if you, it was a point where I felt like just money everywhere was so tight. And I still, I think I brought my, um, I brought my monthly contribution to my account down to like $10, Mm -hmm. just $10 a month. It wasn't for a long time, maybe for about uh, six months. I think my husband might've lost his job or been laid off or something a few years ago. And so I brought that down, but never, the hardest thing to do is to start back up if you stop. So mm. always have an auto transfer going, even if it, it, even if it's just $2, you just got to keep it going. And then, you know, when your situation gets better, you increase it. Okay. Gotcha. But then on top of that, you can just add money. You know, when you get your, your um, tax return. Mm-hmm. I think that was the first thing uh, back during the last um, when they had the stock market crash in 08, 09, I used half of my tax return. Uh, actually, I think it was more than half, but I put $500 into the stock market. That was my first time investing. I invested in Ford and it shot up. 
I believe when I sold it, it I, I sold it, I got $1,200. So mm-hmm. I had made like $700. Then reinvested in a penny stock that went bankrupt. And that's a whole other story. But <laughs> <laughs> It was a learning experience, though. I was going to say, you know, you take some losses, but you learn from that experience. So I know not to do that again if I put, you know, you could have put a lot more money into that and it could have been a a bigger loss. So, you know, you just. Because I only took, yeah, I only took 300, I think 300 out of the seven I had made and put it into into that. That's a. That's so funny to me, though. <laughs> now, did but, we did we touch on in the beginning the um, the utilizing the platforms for utilizing trading and investing? Um, we did, but I'm gonna share those one more time. So we so have just, um, just for the listeners again, um, Natasha, can you uh, pretty much revert back to um, the best platforms to utilizing trading and investing? Yes. All right. So um, in addition to watching YouTube videos, because those are helpful, Mm -hmm. following these pages are most beneficial. So the Wall Street Trapper, he's great. He'll give you um, he'll give you long term and short term trades. I know for sure he might even cover um, options as well. And he has courses that you can buy into either like a one-time fee or a um, monthly fee, you know, and you sign in and he gives you um, trading plans and ideas and tells you basically what to invest in. There is Earn Your Leisure where um, they cover a lot. They have Market Mondays, which is free. You just watch it live on YouTube. Um, and then they record them so you can watch those episodes, you know, whenever you're available. They also post a lot of things on their Instagram page as well. Um, the master investor, he's a part of Earn Your Leisure's Market Monday. So they do that together. But um, the master investor, he has programs that you can um, get into. If you I feel like you should have um, more money saved up for him. Probably he he gives you um, big money ideas, but big money gains too. Um, but he'll also he also has um, he'll post free information on his page too. He has a Facebook group, and I don't think he has anything on YouTube. And then Todd Capital, um, I just started following him maybe a couple weeks ago, and I noticed that a lot of my friends and a lot of my followers follow him. He has like seven different courses that you could buy into. And the the price is actually pretty good. They're all less than a hundred dollars. I believe maybe one that's even like $27. I think wall street trapper has one that's like $27 too. And then the millennials next door, I follow him because he does a lot with, um, I had never heard of real estate, stocks they're real reits real estate investment trusts so those are stocks you buy into and you get a really nice dividend they pay really high dividends um the stock price doesn't fluctuate that much 
So you're not going to get a lot of gains on the stock really going up. It kind of almost stays at a straight line for most of them. But you get consistent dividends every month. And then I want to say they are obligated to um, adjust the, the dividend based on what the stock price is. So if it goes down a lot, then the dividend goes up to compensate you for that difference. But he really focuses on that and he offers a course on that and he really focuses on dividend stocks for people who are you know a little nervous and less risky Mm -hmm. so the millennials next door is um gives you safe slow consistent trading education got you got you now we have we have talked uh, a lot about the stock market and everything like, like that but a lot of people want to want to get into real estate as well Um, and purchasing property. So where can listeners go to find more information about purchasing property? And also what are a few key things for first home or first home, first home owner? Jesus. First home buyers. (laughs) 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 Uh, All right. So Google is um, your best friend. So like I was telling my um, daughter, you know, with all of her, Friends being into making T-shirts, clothing lines, decorating mm-hmm. purses like that. You know, you guys generation is just they're they're really into that right now. And you you all really support each other, whether you can afford to or not. Like you're <laughs> out there buying each other's products. And um, I love that. But I was telling her she could get a commercial property in the city probably for like 50,000 with living space upstairs and rent out the downstairs or bring in you know I know she has one friend that's into like graphic design and he's starting a clothing line then you know the other friend with the purse so maybe they could get you know whatever is used to make t-shirts print t-shirts buy one of those and on one half of the business they could do t-shirt printing for everybody locally so that people don't have to order offline if they are you know get getting their orders shipped to them for their product but they could do that inside the building and maybe have the other side as graphic design or even just sell their products on the other side or she could just rent it to a business that needs a commercial space to run their business and she could rent out the apartments upstairs or she could live upstairs and have somebody run out the other half, you know, based on how the building is set up. But you think for like a two bedroom apartment in a, in a not so great area, you pay 800 to a thousand a month. Mm -hmm. So with a, with a 50,000 commercial mortgage, the interest rates are a little higher than if you were just buying a home. But, um, the payment will probably be anywhere between three hundred to five hundred a month just on the mortgage, wow. right? So you are you already coming in well below what you would pay to rent a teeny tiny apartment where they don't even want to hear from you or come fix your repairs. But then if you rent out all that space, so now you only have to pay like a five hundred dollar mortgage, but then you're bringing in income. If you have, if you don't decide to run a business from downstairs and you rent it out, you probably bring it in anywhere from a thousand to 1500 in rent. And then if you rent out, if it's two living spaces upstairs and you rent out one, that's another 
five to seven hundred. Wow. Yeah. So you like blown away with that breakdown. So, um, but um, just to research that, you know, I was on just to get pricing, you know, for her because I really didn't know what the pricing would look like. But I just looked up like commercial. I Google like commercial mortgage loan calculator to get get it calculated. I looked up how to um how to get a mortgage on a commercial property. I found YouTube videos that walk you through that I would say it sounds um very tedious. I probably won't tell her that because I don't want to discourage her in case she decides, but it just it sounds like it's a lot of paperwork. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of questions to make sure that um that you'll be able to pay that mortgage every month, which is understandable. Um, but it, it sounds like it might be a tedious or um, drawn out process, but not impossible. Yeah. Um, you even yeah, had to point to where, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, cause I, I was, oh, no, I was saying, yeah, just just whatever you're thinking of, just Google it. Any words you don't understand when you're reading something, Google it, write it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say when when we were talking as well, you had a very similar example to that. Um, with a non-commercial commercial property, you know, a, a regular duplex or something like that in the city. Do you mind breaking that down as well? Oh, yep. It's the same. So um, our home, so our home is a little less than 2,000 square feet. And we got in at a little over 100,000. So my mortgage is for our four-bedroom house, and it has a basement, is about um, 1,000 a month. You know, it goes up and down with the taxes. So sometimes it's like nine fifty a month. But you think if if she gets if she buys a hell, even if she buys a property like that in Detroit for we'll still say for like fifty thousand and it has three bedrooms and she rents it out to her friends, if three of her friends stay there, right, and they share the common living space and everybody has their own room, that's at fifty thousand, her mortgage would be like five, six hundred a month. But then everybody's paying three or four hundred dollars to stay there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, some people would probably even pay five hundred. That's still less than they would have to pay for a one bedroom apartment. Exactly. And they get a basement, and they get a nice kitchen, mm-hmm. and they get all you know all this space, a backyard, a garage to park in. Like you you would make a thousand off rent just off of renting to two of your friends and they would be happy to not have to stay with their parents and everyone will have money to pay down their debt. Right. <laughs> right. Everybody's just paying $500 in rent, but yeah, you could get a do, du- you know, you could rent like a duplex get and those. Yeah. Those are cheap too. You could probably get one of those for like 40,000 and that's easier because you're getting a regular mortgage on that and you're spreading it out for 30 years. Right. So your payment is really low because, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, just go get a property. It's just 50,000, 100,000. But that's discouraging. Don't say it that way. Say, oh, you know, with a 30 year mortgage, you only have to pay 500 a month. Right. That's more people can relate more to that. Cause they pay their rent monthly. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. I, I think that's the biggest discouragement. And, and and then also people was like, well, well, where do I even go to get fifty thousand dollars from? A lot of people don't 
you know, can you break that down? What are some resources and where to go to, to start with getting mortgage loans and stuff like that? So this is interesting that you brought that up. I had a friend who just recently for like the past year has been um, trying to buy a house, kind of just looking into stuff, figuring out, you know, where she wants to stay, how much she wants to pay. But she was looking for um, a realtor and a, um, a, loan, a mortgage company to um, apply for pre-approval. So when you before you can even get a realtor to show you a house in person, you need pre-approval from a mortgage company showing that, you know what I'm saying, when this person finds a house, we we based on the information we have so far, we would feel comfortable giving them a loan at no more than this amount. Okay. So that's the starting point right there, even before you could go look at a house, unless you have like a buddy that's a realtor. Then, of course, they don't mind showing it to you. But most realtors are like, do you have your pre-approval? Okay, well, I can't help you. Let me know when you get to pre-approval. Okay, but I was telling my, my friend, I'm like, well, you know, they like, well, I got, you know, I got this person helping me. You know, they could sell me the house and they know who I could go through to get the mortgage. I said, okay, well, just, I said, just know that you don't have to, you can shop around for a lender that is willing to let you know what they might approve you at, which without you, without having your credit tapped every single time. Mm-hmm. Now they don't have to, but that's what I did when I bought my house. So I called around, I found lenders. Some lenders were like, you know, I'm like, I know my credit score. I can tell you, you know, how much credit card debt I got, what, what the limits are. Like I could give you all the information, but I don't want you to tap my credit until you know what I'm saying? I, mm-hmm. Yeah, until it's for sure. Like, until I know I decided on you. So some were like, okay, yeah, just give me that. I could tell you with that, you know, with those numbers you gave me, we could probably pre-approve you at this. And I'm like, and, you know, of course, they give me the disclaimer, like, that's not definite because I didn't. And I'm like, okay, no, that's cool. I call somewhere else and they like, I'm sorry, we can't. If, if you're not willing to give a show, let us check your credit. I can't give you anything. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm I'm not going to go through you. Right. So right. I found two people and they gave me different amounts. Um, it was like a $15,000 difference between the two. And I went through those two, you know, to get my mortgage rate to see, you know, what the actual numbers would look like. And I got um, two different, um, they gave me two different numbers. And then I, the one with the higher amount is who I picked to get my pre-approval letter from. But I was, my friend was like, no, they said, you know, they said they can't do that. And it was, and I was trying to explain that I said, in this process, you want somebody who seems like they're trying to help you. And this person to me, don't sound, it sounds like they trying to manipulate stuff. Mm. And I said, I said, does it feel right? And she like, what? I mean, it don't really feel it. She's like, I, I just, I never bought a house before, but it seemed like the guy know what he's talking about. So then after they went through everything and then come to find out, like it was stuff with like the credit score, the guy was saying, giving them information. Like, so when all of this happened with, the mortgage rates going down and I'm like, okay, well, 
you could get, you should be able to get a loan right now. You know, like what, what's your guy telling you? And she like, um, she said they, he said they raised the requirements for the FHA loans. And I'm like, did he send you something? She's like, no. Well, so then she sent, she like, yeah, he sent me a screen print of this. I'm like, a a screen print? He ain't going to send you the article like that? He don't think you want to read? Like, I ain't think of it like that. So then I look. So I look and I'm like, I'm like, no, look, I found a lot that, um, that to say they, the requirements haven't changed, but some places have changed their personal, you know, even though the requirements didn't change, different mortgage companies were like, well, we not accept, we not giving nobody a FHA loan if it's not at this, if your credit score not here, regardless to FHA saying it needs to be 580, we not giving you one unless it's 600 or 620 or whatever. And she was like, well, why he didn't explain it that way? And I'm like, cause that's, that's not your guy. He, he's yeah. not trying to help you. Like you got to find. So she found somebody else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's shit. She said, it's like, it's everything you said. Like this person is telling me this and they give me all this helpful information. And I'm like, yeah, just, you know, I feel like because buying a house is a one or two time thing. It's just, you don't have as much experience with it. And some people take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always or try even, to start even, with somebody who can okay. help, who's helpful. Yeah. And I was going to say, even probably from the buyer's perspective where they're like, well, I'm not an expertise in this. So let me not jump out and, and feel the type of way. Cause I just simply don't know, you know? Uh, right. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. And so I would start, yeah, calling around to lenders, um, trying to get somebody to give me a quote without tapping my credit so I could pick. Um, You're supposed to have at least two lenders to choose from because they not, different companies had different qualifications and you just, one will give you a higher pre-approval amount, one going to give you a lower one and you, you know, you go with who you feel better working with. Then from there you pick Pick a realtor who you trust, call one or two realtors, fill it out, you know, see who feels good. But um, yeah, I I don't um I don't agree that people should do like a one-stop shop. Like don't don't have a realtor that's gonna co- connect you with the lender, that's gonna connect you with no, you just pick it all on your own. If they do connect you with them or if they connect you with the lender and they're not trying to control everything, I think that's better because you could get a feel for it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, not a. And then they have lenders too. They have lenders who can use your information to tap into multiple lenders and provide you with the best off- offer. They have a different um, name from a regular uh, mortgage company, and I can't remember what they're called but maybe a broker or something like that but that's actually who I I went through one one regular mortgage lender and then I went through um I guess what's considered a broker and the broker tapped into multiple different ones and came back so basically I really got like had like three different options to choose from because the broker came back with like two Mm -hmm. options 
Yeah, and then that's it. Once you do that, once you get your lender and you get your realtor, um, it's pretty easy from there. Then it's just looking, it's just looking at houses. Mm-hmm. They handle all the paperwork from there. They they tell you exactly what to do. Pay attention when you sign in those papers, because uh it's closing on the house. It's like a thick, thick stack of paper. It's like an hour, two hour process signing all the documents. Very tedious. It's not like signing a lease. Nope, it's not. And then, oh, with the FHA loans, you only have to put down like 3%, 3.5% um, down payment. So um, I will say have a little more, um, have a little more saved than, than the 3%. So we... Um, we only had like uh, transparency here. We only had like $10,000 when we bought our house seven years ago. And we were supposed to have to pay like a, a, a little less than um, 4000 for the down payment, which I think we did. But there were closing costs that tacked on like $2,000 more or $3,000 more. And um, so that took away a, a lot of the money. <laughs> After we got done with everything and moved in, we had $700 in savings. Wow. Like not including like um, 401k and and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But like just in this, yeah, basically all of that savings was gone. So, and that's another thing, like just, even though we knew we had money in other spots, no, all we got is the $700 in savings. (laughs) We don't have no money nowhere else. We broke, broke. <laughs> like we literally, and that's a mindset thing. Like when you put money into other things, when that that checking and that savings run low, that's it. You broke, broke. You can't consider tapping into that stuff. Like, yeah, pulling from other places. That's that discipline. Um, and yeah, people, you know, try pulling from four hundred one k and stuff like that, and and getting all of those penalties. So I, I definitely understand. Yeah. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold you too much longer. Um, but I, I wanted you since we talked about the commercial property and um the regular properties like duplexes, but you had a good good example um when it comes to franchises. Now, do you mind touching on that Chick fil A example that you had for us? Oh yeah, yeah, the Chick fil A. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to talk about. Um so it is a $10,000 um, initial fee investment to own a Chick-fil-A. I, sh- I shouldn't say to own it, to run a Chick-fil-A franchise because really they still are the owners. They mm-hmm. take 15% of your um, sales and then 50% of the pre-tax revenue. So, they own the building, they own everything inside. But for someone who doesn't know what they want to do or what direction they're going as far as their future, I think it's an opportunity that um, they should at least attempt to try for if they can put together $10,000. They expect you to be full-time running the restaurant hands-on you can't have um, any other ventures or um, anything else that's taking up your time. You're expected to, uh, you know, only be involved with running that Chick-fil-A store. 
um, which is a downer for most people because um, they want to do other things or consider doing other things. But again, we're talking about someone who that they just don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to pay all this money for college. I don't know what I what I want to be or you know anything. Um, it's a five to six week um, training program, like full time training program. Now, um, the Chick-fil-A stores average um, 4.4 million in sales per year. So you would be paying, you know, 15% of that is about 660,000. You make um, a minimum of about 100,000 a year Mm. running the store. And um, they only accept 75 to 80 applicants per year. They get about 20,000 applicants a year. So it's not even that easy to get in, but you're paying $10,000 if you get chosen, right? Because you this is, you don't have to pay unless they choose you. You're paying $10,000 to be guaranteed at least 100000 a year, and you gain all of this experience. So for your friends going to school paying you know, fifty thousand, they fifty, sixty thousand dollars in debt when they come out of college, and they might end up really just being a a, a a a store manager or something for a franchise where you paying ten thousand dollars, you get all this training and time put into you, and then you know what? However, the contract is set up. Whenever you want to leave, you know how to start a business. How to run a business, how to manage it, how to bring people in that's going to be beneficial to your business for just ten thousand dollars. And you got after that, you got paid, you got paid to take the knowledge, you got paid a hundred thousand dollars a year to take the knowledge in. Like that, that's better than college. It is, (laughs) that's that's hands. You get the blueprint, like Chick fil A got the blueprint. That's crazy. Now, I want to ask this because when you when you wrote this down to me on social media and stuff like that, you see other uh, franchises, you know, who are eligible to have owners or those who rent the space. Is this the same model for like a Subway or a White Castle or a McDonald's? No, they all expect you to have they so they let you keep more of your earnings but they expect you to have more coming in. They they um they value like they want your net worth to be uh, somebody's is like two two 250,000 like a million. So they expect you to have a lot more coming in. But since you have so much more coming in, you get to keep a lot more. Mm-hmm. of it. So you're Honestly, in those situations, you're less likely to leave because you get to keep more of your profits, more of your revenue. You you have um, more ownership of different things. Um, but yeah, I didn't look into those a lot because because they cost so much. It is there are a few. I think I um, had found an article at the time that had it had a list of. Um, franchises that you could start, it was like less than 50000 or something or less than 25000 maybe. And it had maybe about 10, 10 different franchises that where you don't have to spend as much money to come into it. 
Wow. And it's just the process of knowing, just knowing that these things are achievable and okay, I can put this money up or I can go get a loan somewhere and get this money and then flip it. Yep. Because, I mean, you know, if you don't even know what franchising is, you just assume that McDonald's owns all the McDonald's and they hire all the managers. But no, each McDonald's has its own owner. Mm -hmm. And they just, you know, paying McDonald's for the name, basically. Wow. My mind was blown when I found out when I, I think I was in my early 20s when I found out like, what? You mean people own these? Like, I thought. I thought these were just employees. I didn't realize. And they you know, do they do the same thing for, you know, family dollars and, and stuff like that too, right? Yeah. It's, man, you learn something new every day. It just you do. So I want to say thank you. Thank you so much, Natasha, uh, for coming onto the platform and really providing all of this information because I know this will be helpful, has been helpful to me. Um, is there any um, other tips that you want to lead us off with? Just start that auto transfer today. <laughs> that stock account. Sign up with some. Oh, especially like with the Robinhood and the Cash App. Um, I mean, the Robinhood and the Stash. If you have a friend that has it, have them send you a link. With Robinhood, you both each get um, a free stock. And then with Stash, I believe you both each get $20. Look at that. So everybody go set up that auto transfer. And just just send it through the community, man. Send it, send it to your friends, send it to your friends, to your cousins. That's right. See? Man. You just getting free the free stock right there just from sending it to people. Dang. That's great. That's great. Well, so where can everyone find you and contact you, Natasha? Um, my page on Instagram, the greedy wallet. Um, they can reach out to me on there, follow me on there. And, um, I probably need to put my email on there, but yeah, if they have any, if they want a budget to be able to invest more, I offer, offer, um, virtual sessions for that and write you a three or six month budget. And then any questions you have about any other financial items, I, um, write up summaries and, um, help guide you on a path with that as well. Well, listen, I definitely will be reaching out to you. So be expecting. I'm waiting. Me. <laughs> um, but yeah, there you go. Um, my name is Brie Goodall. I'm your host. You guys are now tapped into Gen CEO. Please stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed.